Welcome to the Queen Trail Podcast. Meditation doesn't have to be sitting still and having an empty mind. The journey is such a beautiful thing because we are all on a journey. You want to make sure you have some kind of distribution plan, or at least have an idea of it, because you can make this really amazing film and it only gets seen by your family and friends. Old Hollywood is still intact. Every horse runs hard, but when they win, and they know it, they've got this little sass about them. It was pretty rough. I had to go into the water and with my med pack, swim to the beach, treat these guys, put them on my back, swim out to the helo. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen those before. And I said, what are those? And before I could even finish the sentence, she said, oh my God, you didn't touch them, did you? Even if monarchs go away and we never see one again, because there never will be monarchs again, if they die out, it is just a little indicator of larger threats my dad said, so what were you guys doing in the desert? I said, we were taking nude photos. Hey everybody, welcome back. I hope you had a great week since the last time that we got together. We have been asked to do another list with Sophia. Hello. So I have Sophie here with me. And we've got a whole list of questions. So I think we're going to get right into it. The first question is, if you had a whole day where you could do anything you wanted, what would you do? It depends on <laughs> where I am, what I'm doing. Um, right now, I would probably just study if I had a whole day to do nothing. Because I've got finals coming up and I'm almost done with school, so that's what I would do. If it was during the summertime, I'd probably go to the beach and go swimming and get some ice cream. <laughs> yeah. What about you? If I had a whole day where I could do anything that I wanted, I would sleep in for sure. Mm -hmm. But because this is a day where I can do anything that I want, I am going to say that I can break time barriers. So I can sleep in, but it's not going to be too late to get out and go on a hike. Definitely would do like a nice long hike. Like when we went to the devil's chair. That... You can go alone. <laughs> that was like a 12 mile hike. It was terrible. I don't think it was 12 it was, miles. It was at least 10. It was the longest <laughs> thing I'd ever done. And then we had to, like, race the sun because we got there. <laughs> Not because we got there late, but because it was such a long trail that it took us six hours or something. I think we got there a little late because we weren't expecting it to be as far away from us as it was. I mean, you had to cross the whole entire Angeles Forest, traverse the Angeles Crest Highway, get out on the other side. It was in Pear Blossom. It was glorious. That was such a great hike. So I would definitely do something like that. Probably go somewhere for dinner, stay up and watch a movie. Yeah. yeah. That would probably be my perfect day. Or I would travel somewhere. But I'd require more than just a single day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Next question. What do you need more of in your life? Uh, time. 
I feel like there's so little time to do everything that I want to do, and it stresses me out. Yeah. Like What's everything that you want to do? Day. Um, I want to study. I want to crochet. I want to go to school. I want to hang out and chill, not be too stressed, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of things I want to learn how to do. So I'm always thinking, oh, I want to take this class or I want to take that class or I want to read this book. And then I read a couple of pages and I'm tired and ready to go to sleep (laughs) because I've done so many other things. But uh, yeah, more time. Definitely. I think that that probably would be the number one answer for most people, Mm -hmm. regardless of how many time management classes there are out there and books and all of that sort of thing. I think that there's a difference between getting a bunch of things done and spending quality time getting a finite number of things done. Yeah. You know, you can get so busy that the things that you're doing are meaningless because you're just trying to get complete the task. Right. You're trying to complete each task or get from one thing to the next. So I think time would be it. And I think that the older you get too, your interests begin to grow, right? You're getting older, you're learning more things, you're having more experiences, you're learning about more things that you can experience. And so almost at a same pace, your interests are widening as well. Yeah. I think it it goes beyond time, really, because... You think of, oh, what I need more of in my life is time, but you also need more dedication, more focus, understanding what you want. But if you had the time to plan for it, you know, because not everybody has the time to think about what they want because they have to work or go to school or take care of people. And I feel like if we had more time or I guess less responsibilities... It would be easier to figure out, oh, is this really what I want to be doing? Less obligations, you mean? Yeah. But in between the obligations... And then you would figure out that you want to dedicate this extra time to this practice or to learning this new skill or to sleeping. you want to dedicate the time in between the obligations to figuring out how to reduce those obligations... So that in turn, you get more time, you get more time. So it's kind of a a little bit of a strategy there. And then once you have that extra time, then you can spend it focusing on what it is that you want to do and Mm -hmm. making those choices. But I, I think a lot of times what happens is that we have time. We just choose not to spend it perhaps wisely. And I'm saying perhaps because I think having downtime where you're just not doing anything, either not doing anything, just sitting there, you know, like I remember when I was a kid just laying on my back in the grass and staring at the clouds and we had disposable cameras and I would try to take pictures of the clouds when they shifted That was actually my pursuit for a while. Mm -hmm. It was just to take pictures of clouds and just sit there and watch them. 
Bill Watterson, the creator of Calvin and Hobbes. Mm -hmm. I think there's a quote attributed to him. I'll put it in the show notes. Something about time wasted doing what you want is not wasted time. There's another quote attributed to John Lennon that is similar to that. But I think that we really need to spend time doing nothing for parts of the days. Well, we weren't meant to be working 40-hour work weeks. Cavemen never did that. I mean, they were going out hunting. Their real concern was shelter and food and safety. But they never had to spend that many of their waking hours just working like that. Mm Mm-hmm. And the reason why we think that we're wasting time is because of that sentiment of, oh, you need to be working and you need to be making money to be a productive person in society and you can't have your own little hobby or even spend time enjoying the silence of your own brain without something coming up to push you off and be like, oh, this needs to be more productive. It's kind of like that bigger, better, faster, do more. Like we just want to be like a computer, like know all the answers, get it done right the first time, etc. And there's no room for leisure. So I guess what I'm getting at is that it's not just a time issue. It's how we choose to spend that time, what our perception is of how we're supposed to be spending that time. I think we need to be more conscious of how we're spending the time that we have been allotted and treat it like the gift that it is um, and make choices that are much more fulfilling so that when we're actually enjoying what we're doing, it feels like we're spending our time right and perhaps we have enough time. Yeah. You know? I agree. And, you know, life is a series of challenges and obstacles. Sometimes it feels like So you're trying to find that time in between each one of those challenges that you can enjoy. You're not always going to get to spend the time that you have the way that will fulfill you the most. Mm -hmm. But I think that despite the idea that we're all living in this rat race where we're working our asses off at work or we're working our asses off at school or we're running from one activity to the next, we're filling our calendars, we can make different choices. We can stop filling our calendars to that brim. We have the time in between to do more things. So now that we've been talking about this, I'm not sure that time is what I need more of. I think it's quality moments, perhaps, that I need more of, focus, the things that bring me joy, and not just joy, but the things that make me feel purposeful, because it's more meaning, you Mm -hmm. know, because when you find purpose in something, you find meaning in it, and from meaning, you derive contentment. So I think it is more purpose and meaning and quality attention to what I'm doing at the moment so that the time that I am allotted feels much more fulfilling. The next question is, what do you need less of in your life? And before we even get started on that, I just think that it's really interesting how it's so much easier for us to talk about the things that we don't want or that bother us or that we need less of 
than it is to identify the things that we want more of that create fulfillment, you know? So I think this one's going to be a lot easier to answer, but what do you need less of in your life? Well, I guess this relates to what I need more of. I need less stress. Um, And if I had more time, I think I would be less stressed about school and the future and all the things that I need to get done. Yeah, if I had less stress. It's also like knowing about the negative things, I think, is part of the human condition. I think being able to identify the negative things is just a part of being a human being. And it kind of sucks because, like, more negative news gets more attention than the positive news. But it's like when we're like, oh, what do you want to eat? And then I'm like, I don't know what I want, but I know that I don't want sandwiches. You know, it's, it's a lot easier to identify what you don't want or what is, like, bad than what you actually do want or something good. I think part of that is because the things that are negative impact us in really big ways. The bad things, I mean, the really bad things are few and far between. Mm -hmm. But they're so impactful. They shake up our lives. They're just huge disruptors to the paths that we are on that we notice them. Whereas the good things are happening all the time. Every moment, like you just grabbed your phone and took a picture of Sithy because she's so dang cute on the couch, right? That's a good thing. The good things are like glitter falling around us 24-7. They are there, but they're small. And you can become blinded to that glitter that's always falling around you. But when it's not falling, that's when you notice things. And it's a big impact. It's like the environment has changed or I'm not going to be able to do X, Y, Z. You get in a car accident and now the rest of your day has been changed. We say the rest of our day is now ruined. Of course, it sucks to get into a car accident. But is the rest of your day really ruined? You know, like, remember when I got that flat tire? I'm just going to relate it to this Mm -hmm. car accident. When I got that flat tire, holy cow, that ended up being like four hours of my day changed. I didn't get to do all the things that I wanted to do. I didn't get to go to the farmer's market. I didn't get to go to my parents' house. I didn't get to make the phone calls that I needed to make or whatever, because I got home so late. But in the process of it, I had a friend, Mike come and hang out with the car for almost the entirety of that time because he was able to do some work while he was there and I'm eternally grateful to him for doing that uh, because I broke down in a bad spot but I made friends with the tow truck driver and he had a Mm -hmm. very interesting story to tell me so my day wasn't ruined it was just changed from what my expectations were when your expectation is whisked away but we don't we don't like changed And it's kind of like that quote where it's like, a healthy man wants a million things, a sick man only wants one to get better. It's like when your day is going fine, you're like, oh, I can do this, this and that, blah, 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 blah. But then one thing changes everything and you're like, oh, I just want to be at home or I just want to get over this situation. It's like you don't realize what you have going on until it's taken away from you. Mm -hmm. That happens a lot. Um, I'm just trying to think of what I need less of. 
I tend to be really good at identifying things that I need less of and removing them from my life. So they're not a constant part of my life. The thing is that there's constantly things coming into your life that are this mixed bag of people and opportunities or situations, uh, bad opportunities, good opportunities, and you're constantly having to weed through that. It's like the slow mudslide that's never going to end. Mm-hmm. And you have to weed through all of that stuff. But I'm pretty good at taking the things out that cause me distress. Unless, you know, taxes, okay, taxes cause stress. (laughs) But I'm going to do my taxes because not doing them is going to cause more stress. So sometimes you've got to do certain things, but there's things that you don't need in your life that you can eliminate. So you want to pick one? I feel like these are all like sad. (laughs) Some fun questions. Which book or movie impacted you most growing up? Oh my gosh. There are so many because I am not currently an avid reader and I need to revisit that because the joy of reading was paramount in my life when I was growing up. And so I'm going to probably pick a couple. The first one is, okay, usually it's a challenge that causes me to read something that really impacts my life. When I was in second grade, I saw James and the Giant Peach by Roald Dahl. And it's a nice fat book, you know, uh, especially for a kid. I don't know. I haven't seen it lately. So I don't know how big of a book it really is. But I know that this was hardback. There were pictures in it. There were fantastic pictures of birds flying a peach through the sky. Aunt Sponge and Aunt Spike falling down the hill. Okay, (laughs) now look, I don't think I have read James and the Giant Peach since I was a kid. And I remember Aunt Sponge and Aunt Spike who were really horrible to poor little James. Yeah. The centipede popping out of that giant peach and and all the adventures that they had in there. These were just pictures that I was looking at. And my imagination just soared. And so I took it up to the librarian. And there's a lot of things that I could probably attribute the librarian's response to me. But I took it up to the librarian and she looked at me and she said, oh, honey, that book is too advanced for you. Oh, my God. And I remember in my second grade mind looking at this lady and thinking, well, let me prove to you that I can read this. And I think part of it was this was the 70s. So there were reading tiers, right? So you could read this tier of books from age or grade. Mm, they they did that in my school, too. There was like a, a letter for every group. And if you could read the W, X, Y, and Z books, those were like the most advanced in our library. And they were like, oh, this is like 12th grade reading level. And I could read at that. So I was like, oh, cool. Like I'm like a third grader. I think back then they really kept you in your tier. So that was part of it. This was a more advanced book and I was not in that more advanced grade. But I was also a really precocious kid and I didn't like being told no. I don't think anybody likes being told no. And even as a little kid, it's insulting to have somebody tell you, oh, this is too advanced for you. You know, you you take it personally. And 
she was a white librarian and I was a little Hispanic kid. I felt at different times in school, especially back then, intelligence was directly correlated to race, race, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've thought about this librarian several times in my life because she stopped me from getting books prior to this. Anyway, I got this book. I had to argue. You know, she said something like, you've got to read one chapter by this date. And if you can't, you have to bring it back and get a book that's not quite as advanced as this one. And I had read like half of the book by the time that came up. I was able to answer her questions. And she was satisfied that I knew what I was reading. But I would say that is one of the books that was really impactful in my life. It wasn't so much the story, which is a fantastic story. I mean, it's just Roald Dahl. Yeah. But it was the fact that I was doing something that somebody told me that I did not have the capacity. Not that I couldn't do. So it wasn't like some law or rule that I was breaking. It was that I had been told I didn't have the capacity at that time to be able to accomplish this feat. And I accomplished it. And my love of reading was probably, to be honest, initiated or solidified with that book. Mm -hmm. And challenging myself to read at levels that were greatly above where I was supposed to be. So I think I was about 12, 11, 12 or something. I was at my friend Kelly's house. She lived like three or four houses down. And her mom, Bobby, and Kelly and I were talking about books that we liked. And Bobby, she was just so sweet. She'd knit and just listened to us. And they were from the South. So she had that calm, warm southern drawl when she would talk to us and she goes I just finished a really good book that I think you will like when you're old enough and ready to read this which were the magic words yeah and she said it was Stephen King's The Stand which is definitely a very fat book (laughs) I mean that is a huge book and there's no pictures in this book (laughs) it's all words So when I got my allowance that week, I went to the store and I bought Stephen King's The Stand, devoured the book, loved it. I've probably read it five or six times. You know, there weren't self-help books. I think this question might be geared a little bit more towards what book changed your life because you read something mind shattering in it that compelled you to do X, Y, Z. But these were books that I was told were not available to me. And they challenged me to challenge myself and proved to me that not only could I understand these concepts, not only could I understand these words, I was able to do what somebody had told me that I couldn't. Yeah. In terms of books that have been really instrumental, uh, there's a couple of them. And I don't know, some people are going to, you know, cheer me on for mentioning this author and some people are going to turn around and barf. Uh, but before politics became the ism, the thing that defines so many people, talk show hosts were moderates. They were right in the middle. 
which is why there was so much good talk. Now you have to choose who you're going to listen to because all you're going to hear is that echo chamber, whatever end of the spectrum it is. So back in the early thousands, there was a talk show host, and I think he's still talking, I don't know, Dennis Prager, and he would have a happiness hour every Friday. That happiness hour had to do with everything that affected your happiness quotient, the things that made you happier, the things that made you less happy. And he put a book out that was called Happiness is a Serious Problem. I loved that book. I don't know where it is. I should read it again and see if I still like it. But there were a lot of good concepts in that book about how to become a happier person, the things that affect your happiness. He had a study in there about how people's happiness quotient was reduced after the introduction of television. There's actual studies that correlate to this, Mm -hmm. you know, prior to the introduction of television, families spent time together talking. Well, you can't do that when you're watching a show. You've got to be quiet and allow the show to talk to you. So television did a lot to separate families. And it it was at the time what social media is today. It was, you know, it absorbed so much attention and built a wall between families So anyway, I I thought that was a really good book. And, you know, also I was listening to the Happiness Hour every week. So maybe the book wasn't as influential on its own. Mm -hmm. You know, I had this background. But I think to David Sedaris, hysterical, you know, just like finding the humor in bad moments. His books are great. And then Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell just shining the light on why things are the way that they are. Yeah. Outliers. And you're like, oh my God. Yeah, that makes so much sense. All of this math and timing and it's so logical that you're like, oh yeah, that's why like Mark Zuckerberg and all those people are so popular and famous and well it's not just being born at the right time in the right place etc but was it 10,000 hours Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hour formula Mm -hmm. so if you can put 10,000 hours toward any one skill or hobby or interest you will become an expert in that yeah So you have the ability to overcome not being born in the right place or at the right time Mm -hmm. or to the right parents. Yeah, it's like the whole like talent will get you far, but dedication will get you farther. Mm -hmm. The amount of time you put in. And if you put 10,000 hours in and you're still not good at it, then, you know, maybe it wasn't meant for you. (laughs) Like you should be an expert at the point of 10,000 hours. Mm. Yeah, maybe you should become an expert at sleeping. Yeah, that's, I think maybe that's why most of us sleep so well. But, you know, actually, that's another thing, right? There, People don't sleep very well. You know, and I think that's one of the biggest complaints is I wasn't able to sleep last night. I'm so tired today. I didn't get quality sleep, et cetera, et cetera. So we're not even putting the quality time into figuring out how to get a better night's sleep. At a certain point, I don't know at what point. I would be pulling a number out of the air for sleep. But 10,000 hours, I looked this up, is 416.667 days. So it's just a little over a year of 24-7 dedication. We should all be experts at getting a really good night's sleep. (laughs) Your turn. Okay. 
Um, I didn't have the same experience in school with being told I wasn't able to read stuff. In fact, it was kind of the opposite, where we were given books and we were able to choose anything from the library and we could take quizzes on the books and get points for them. I don't really remember what happened to the points in elementary school, but in middle school, if we read a million words, we got a pizza party every year. So sixth and seventh grade, I read a million words and we got bookmarks and stuff like that for reading so much. I read a lot of then, but I think the most impactful was... The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak. It's such a good book. It's a fictional book, but based on like true events about the Holocaust. And there's the point of view of death. And it's retrospective and kind of creepy, but it's very interesting to think about. And I think I was about the same age as the girl in the book. I think she's like 10 or 11. And so it was really cool to see that parallel between me and her and be able to see like what it would be like to be in her shoes and have to deal with that. And then the other book that I really liked is called A Tale for the Time Being by Ruth Oziki. It's again a fictional book about this woman. I think she lives in Alaska. It was supposed to be like after that really bad tsunami in Japan and she finds this journal from this girl who was in Japan and it kind of goes back and forth between their two stories of journal entries from this teenage girl in Japan about her life and then this lady trying to figure out if she's still alive after everything that had happened and I feel like that book was I think it was one of the first books that I read that was in that style of kind of two narrators talking to each other. And again, it had that kind of like supernatural talking about death. Like it's kind of spiritual as well. Like the girl kind of visits this lady in her dreams and there's this spiritual kind of Buddhist follow through throughout the entire book. And I think both of those books are really interesting and like super good reads. I can see the visuals in my head for them. Those books. Yeah. Movies. I don't know if I have a movie that impacted me growing up. Have you seen The Burbs yet? You just That refused. did impact me badly. <laughs> it's a funny movie. It's creepy, but it's funny. It creeped me out it's as a kid funny. and I didn't like it. And uh, yeah, I never wanted to watch it. <laughs> I don't think I've seen it as an adult, so maybe I'll have to rewatch it. You'll have to watch it. That one's pretty funny. I mean, there's films now that have impacted me. Like everything, everything, everything everywhere, everywhere, all, all at, at once. once. That was excellent. That was so good. It made me cry. Made me laugh. It totally deserves all the awards that it got. It does. Just the relatable moments in it. It wasn't realistic at all. But you've had those moments where you feel like it's you against these relentless monsters coming at you. Or you just can't, you know, get something within a manageable place with those hot dog fingers. Yeah. There was just a lot. And it was all, you know, metaphorical. But in the end, when they bring it all together, it's a really good story. Um, I think, in a way, not quite as deep as that was Life is Beautiful, which we watched on the plane on the way oh to my Korea. God. That was so sad. But also very good. You know, it's one of those, like, you're crying, but you're like... Oh, in the end, it is okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think a lot of films are like that, where you're trying to bring all of those pieces together. I'm thinking of Parasite, 
which was another one where you were trying to figure out for a lot of that movie what was actually happening. It was very Hitchcock-like, a lot of Alfred Hitchcock features. But not that these three films are necessarily in the same genre, but they're films that you're trying to put a puzzle together. The pieces don't exactly fit. And then you get to that last 15 minutes or that last half hour and you're like, oh, my God, that was so brilliant. Yeah, everything clicks into place. Everything clicks into yeah. place. Also, I, it's not really like that, but La La Land was kind of that same, like, oh, you're sad, but I guess I'm happy for them. Mm. I know you didn't, I don't think you've seen I it. I didn't see it. It's kind of about their journey as a couple. And it's like this like bittersweet, what would have been better in the end kind of thing. And life is like that. I think that's why it clicks so much because at any moment, there's not A or B that you could choose from. There's the whole alphabet and then double letter alphabet going. I mean, you have so many choices, but you can only choose one. And then once you've made that choice, the other ones are closed to you. Mm -hmm. You can no longer follow those paths. And, you know, that's okay. That's what life is like. What's on your bucket list? Well, I'm going to one of my bucket list places this summer. I'm going to Italy. Um, While I was growing up, I thought I was way more Italian than I am. Like, almost half Italian. But I'm only 1% Italian. It's kind of funny that I'm going there. Because whenever anyone asked where my last name was from, I'm like, oh, it's Italian. Like, I'm Italian. Like, blah, 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 blah. And then I come to find out that I'm barely even a little bit Italian. But I've always wanted to go to Italy and Costa Rica as a kid. Because it's like, that's where I thought my heritage was from. So we're going to go to Sicily, Rome, Florence, Venice and enjoy and see all the cool stuff go to the vatican see the david uh eat pizza and pasta and hang out get on a gondola ride yeah that's fun Mm -hmm. so you guys are staying in venice as well venice yes i don't know if that's the right way to say it or not (laughs) when i went to italy we were there in june or july i want to say same time yeah And we were in Venice. I actually really loved the, like a little boutique hotel, but the first floor is really the second floor. So if you're staying in an old building, there's no elevators. So I don't know where you guys are going to be staying, but just make sure you pack light. I remember the mosquitoes. They were so tiny, but they were voracious. And I didn't have really that many in my room. I just know that there were a few. And there was one that I did smash it because I was very upset. I I feel (laughs) like I have just been robbed when a mosquito steals my blood. Like, I get so highly offended that this little critter came and took my blood. Like... How dare you? I did not consent to that. No, I didn't and, sign off and on you're that. stealing it. It's my blood. It's really silly, but that is exactly the sentiment that I have. But it was gorgeous. The food was incredible. Just the ingredients. Yeah, the food is so much better over there. Like when I went to London, it was like every single hamburger I had was like the best thing I've Exquisite. ever had. Exquisite. 
Yeah. Crazy. You're going to have a really good time. And we did the gondola ride too. The Mm -hmm. gondola was fun. Our gondolier did not sing. We cajoled him and (laughs) he decided to sing some disco song. And we were like, (laughs) oh, solo mio. And he was like, no. (laughs) So it was pretty funny. Anything else on your bucket list? Oh, Canada. Oh, Canada. I want to go to Toronto and uh, Vancouver. I don't know. I want to go everywhere. I feel like the world is so open to any possibilities that I feel like everything is on my bucket list. Like anything I could do, I want to do. Like why not go and see random stuff, you know, or go to an amusement park or go to a museum or go to the beach or fly to New York or whatever the heck. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. I think we were talking about going to every continent. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we've clearly been in North America. Mm hmm. We were in Central America. Which is technically South America, but I really want to go to South America. I want to go somewhere in South America. We've been to Asia. Uh-huh. We've both been to Europe, but not together. Europe. We haven't been to Africa. We haven't been to Australia. I also want to go to the South Pole and... Which is a very long trip. See Captain Robert Scott's camp. Oh, yeah. Because that story... Um, I was talking to Walter McKinley Lewis. If you have not listened to episode 32, please do yourself a favor and listen to it. He is the most incredible, courageous human being. And you would never know it just meeting him because he's such a nice, mild-mannered guy. He's just lovely, but he has got so much courage in his heart. It's amazing. He took three trips to the South Pole to Antarctica in an ice cutter. He saw Sir Robert Scott's camp. He was a British explorer, and I think he had four guys with him. They wanted to plant that British flag in the South Pole, and they ended up caught in this horrible storm. And he left the most touching letter to his wife. He knew he was dying, and he had left his wife and, I think, four-year-old son behind. I I love reading old letters and understanding what the culture was, the perception of the world at a time when you had no choice but to be pragmatic and kind of stoic about life. It pulls at your heartstrings when you read it. And I want to see... Walter told me that he saw this place and that it is still intact as the day that Captain Scott was there. Mm -hmm. And I really want to go and see that because that's a story that had an impact on me. It wasn't a film and it wasn't, (laughs) uh, I'm sure that there's films about this. Yeah. Uh, But it was a National Geographic magazine article. Mm -hmm. That's on my bucket list, seeing all of the continents. I probably have a lot more. It would be like a super long list. I would like to become an expert in a lot of different things. On my bucket list, I have kintsugi down. So kintsugi, it's a Japanese art of putting broken things together and honoring their previous life by gilding it with gold after you put these pieces back together. 
it's a detail process and it just has this meditative quality to it like clay throwing or kneading bread or you know anything that really takes a creative pursuit um so i have things like that on my bucket list i want to participate in many more adventures i think that whenever i do those crazy hikes or come back with the stories of how you know i almost died kayaking (laughs) because i got caught in a storm Not because I was not paying attention to the weather, which is true. I was not because we had a guide who was was an expert who was supposed to be paying attention to that. Uh, Making it through those challenges is really, you know, like to me, I don't know, some people may not agree with this, but for me, it's like, wow, that's living like I did something, you know, and and that's kind of (laughs) awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know. The episode that I recorded with Dawn Atwood, who is currently in Micronesia, uh, who reminds me always of this stuff. Walter reminds me of it because of their adventurous spirits. Yeah, there's there's a confidence that traveling instills in you. It's like, if I can navigate myself around London or Seoul or wherever, I can navigate through my life back home. I can make appointments for myself and drive myself places and talk to these people because I did it in a foreign country or another place and I can do it right back here when I come back. I can explore my own city. Yeah. And I think it's that, you know, like, I mean, you start small, you start exploring your own city, like all of the times that we went to downtown Los Angeles Mm -hmm. and just were like, all right, here's what we want to see. What else is around here? Let's go check that out. All of the hikes, the local hikes and everything. But moreover is, I think, what we were talking about earlier in this episode is that it allows you to pinpoint the important things, the ones that bring you fulfillment. So it allows you to make better choices, you know, and like you realize that there are limitations. Like you might think that you can do anything But there are other elements that are working around you. You know, no man is an island. So there's Mm -hmm. other stuff that's going on around you that you need to be aware. You know, proprioception is super important, you know, and not just proprioception in the sense of knowing where your body is in relation to the things that are around you. But knowing where you are mentally in relation to the other things that are around you, where you are emotionally, that there are limitations. Yeah. And that you should be aware. Like, don't go beyond a certain point because you're going to bump into something that then, again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, is going to shift the path of your life in a way that is outside of the expectations that you had for it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like traveling is humbling. It's like getting on the wrong bus. Like, you're like, oh, I can do this. I got this. And then you get on a train and it's going the wrong direction and you go two stops over and you're like, oh, I guess I was wrong. I don't know everything. But it's also, I feel like it makes me trust myself more because I'm like, I can do it. I can figure this out. I got from point A to point B moderately well. Like, you know, Mm. maybe I'll get on the wrong bus or the wrong train or whatever, but... Like, life will work out, and it has to, you know? It, it Life has to work out. Either that or you die, so have the confidence to do things. Like, go well, for that, it. I don't know why you just reminded me of that Power Man 5000 song, Don't Be Afraid of the Future. It doesn't include you. It only excludes you. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. 
For anybody who doesn't know Power Man 5000, that song is called Wake Up. And it was one of my favorites to uh, when the kids weren't getting up, <laughs> I kind of blasted at them. They're like a surf, punk, edgy, sometimes screamo mm-hmm. band, uh, definitely metal. And that song, I always really liked it. Not because of the anger, he's he's definitely very angry, but I just see this wave like a surfer that's out there in the ocean or a hiker that's out there in the wilderness or whatever, a, a kayaker that's out there in the middle of the ocean that all of a sudden sees the giant wave coming at them or that bear that instead of doing its own thing decides to come at you. And it's like life happens. You're just a little part of life. Not that I have a death wish or anything, but it kind of puts things into perspective and and it's not that deep of a song. But just in this moment, I'm using yeah. it as something a little bit better. Also, I, I don't think I've heard that song in probably years. Like 10 or more years yeah. at this point, right? I mean, that's like such an old song. Anyway, I think we're getting pretty close to where we should be wrapping this up. The sun has gone down. We are now sitting in a dark office recording this. We have probably 50 questions in front of us. And we're having to pick and choose because some of them are just so, you know, like... A little sad. We kind of like these lists to be fun. Uh, So if you weren't doing either what you're currently doing right now in life, which is being a, yes, a student or or a current profession, what would you be doing? If you could do anything, anything, if you could be anything in life, what would it be? I guess is the essence of this question. Well, right now I am making a small wardrobe for myself with crochet and If I could make that a full-time job, that would be pretty cool. I think designing clothes and like sewing and knitting and textile work is always been an interest of mine. Growing up, I never really understood what colors went with things, so I just kind of put stuff on that did not match. Um, And that was my way of expressing myself. But I'm making a skirt and a vest and possibly a bucket hat for myself for Italy. And I think it'd be really cool to design dresses and tops and stuff like that. I follow a lot of people who make patterns all the time and everyone's so creative with what they do. And I think it'd be super cool to dedicate all of my time to just making garments and selling them. I like that. Mm -hmm. If I could do anything, well, I love writing. It probably stemmed out of my passion for reading. And, you know, you tend to want to share with others the things that bring you the most fulfillment and and the most joy. So I think I would be a writer. And that's that's it. I would just write. You're good at it. All the time. Thank you. So I think that's it. Is there anything that you would like to add? I hope everyone has a good summer. Uh, I'm very excited about summer. I'm graduating. Uh, with you are. Three AAs. And me and my best friend are walking the stage get together. I convinced her. 
That's great. Um, that makes me so happy because her bestie was not going to walk the stage. And I just think that if there's anybody out there that feels like getting to the end of an endeavor, like getting a degree, is not worth walking the stage for, just do it. Do it for the people who want to cheer you on, the ones that think that you're a rock star, that you're a superstar, because you have done something remarkable. Yeah. And do it for yourself. You're bookmarking the end of this journey. And I feel like if you've spent two, three, four, five, six years on doing something and you don't celebrate that, you're kind of saying, oh, that didn't matter, you know? And it's also, it's, it is a good like bookmark to be like, oh, I accomplished something. I did something because if you're sitting there going like, oh, none of that meant anything. I'm only going to walk for my big degree for my bachelor's or my master's. It's like you did something. You spent that time, you spent that energy, you spent that money and you succeeded and you did something for yourself. And it also propels you, gives you that encouragement and that incentive to move on with renewed energy into the next phase. Yes. You know, we graduated once together, we can graduate again together. So Mm -hmm. that'll be fun. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And then we're going to go to Italy. And then you guys are going to Italy together. So that's a really big bookmark on that. It's a graduation gift. So Nice, nice. And maybe my Mac Jolie will turn out right. When we were in Korea... I thought it was like a vending machine and I walked up to it and I go, oh, look, there's that rice wine. And all of a sudden, this woman that comes over and she was being persuasive, (laughs) to say the least, trying to get me to purchase a bottle of this stuff. And I do not like sake. At least I have not tried a sake that I like. But I was imagining that macchioli, which is Korea's rice wine, it might taste like sake. But she convinced me to purchase a bottle of it. And all of a sudden, all of these women started swirling around me. And I had one that was taking my credit card and another one that was pulling out a bottle and presenting it to me. And another one that came over to let me know she giving me stickers and a little booklet that was going to tell me all about this macchioli. And they put it in a bag with some ice. And I didn't see all of that because it was just this whirlwind of first class service. And it yeah. was a, it was a little disorienting, to tell the truth. And it wasn't until we got to the hotel room, because I was going to bring it back, that I realized that it was packed on ice. And it's made with uh, Nuruk, which is kind of like a, a yeast starter. It's what creates that mash, along with the rice that ferments. So I think that if you get the temperature up too high, it's going to kill the yeast because it is a living organism. So I had to drink it while I was in Korea and it was delicious. It was was really good. One of the best things I've ever tried. Mm. It tasted like summer fruits and you cannot find quality macchioli in Los Angeles. So I got a recipe. I ordered all of the stuff and I'm making my first batch of macchioli. We'll see how that turns out. It's going to take 10 to 14 days. And maybe we'll be celebrating with it for your graduation. graduation. Hopefully it tastes like peaches. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Until next time. Yeah. Bye. Bye. I hope that you enjoyed that list of questions. We had a lot of fun with it. And it was really interesting for me to note 
that on one of the first lists with Sophia episodes, Sophia had mentioned that she felt anxiety over having to make appointments, even with our super nice dentist. And I was really surprised and a little bit sad to hear that. In fact, I think that's almost my exact response, the exact words that I used back then. But on this episode, she stated that she was confident enough to make appointments after her adventures and travels. So that was literally the cherry on top of this fun Sunday of exploration and conversation with her. Check out the show notes for selected links. Also, keep sending me your questions and comments. I love reading them all, even if I don't always respond. Please also take a moment to rate this episode because your ratings really do help move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming in the company of friends talks with you. So please be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com all at the Queen Trail Podcast. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-I-N-T-R-E-L-L-E Podcast. I am Syl Annan, the Queen Trail, and until next time, I wish you passion, adventure, confidence, intrepidness, elegance, and 